0: What's the balance of words that build and words that destroy? What are you attending to, and are you properly attending to it? I can't really navigate this world by myself, and no one really could. We, we really need each other. Human beings are inclined towards the good. I don't have to explain it. I just believe it. I change my mind a lot, because we grow up. That moment of using words not well during the day, and then using the words at night, I'm sorry, was a game changer. Welcome to The Power Of, with Noam Weissman. From Unpacked, I'm Noam Weissman, and you're listening to The Power Of. This week, The Power Of Charity. The Power Of is brought to you thanks to the Mayberg Foundation, David and Deborah Magerman, Cheryl and Gerald Hartman, and the Crane Mailing Foundation. To sponsor future episodes, email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. Are you rich? Kind of an awkward question, right? We're a little awkward about money. But let's reframe. Take away your definition. Stop thinking rich equals lots of money. What would you describe as the rich life? What makes someone wealthy? There are so many ways to answer that that have nothing to do with money. Pirkei Avod, The Ethics of Our Fathers, a Jewish Talmudic text full of quips and insights, offers one description, Ezehu Ashir HaSameach Bechalko, who is rich? He who is content with what he or she has. Marcus Aurelius, the former Roman emperor and the great Stoic master, who I spoke about with Chloe Valdry back in episode 1, has a different definition. Aurelius defined his wealth in a really unique way, about service, about others. To Marcus, the true measure of his wealth is that whenever he saw someone in need of help, he could provide it. And on the flip side, wealth provided him with a luxury, He would never need to ask for such a favor. Of course, there are more traditional definitions of the rich life, like being able to travel to reduce potential hassle by paying a little extra, to having those VIP services everyone wants. I call them creature comforts, and I have to admit, that kind of wealth does seem pretty, pretty nice. I'm not some ascetic who disparages the finer things in life. They're great. But... I would like to think that for many of us, when we think about wealth, we think about or we would like to think about giving, charity. Having resources means we have the ability to be generous. Now, I know what you might be thinking, because I think this often. Yeah, of course, giving is good. I give whenever my friend runs a 5K. I give to my nieces and nephews when they run a bake sale. But I can't just give that much. I'm no millionaire. I'm still young. I'm not an investment banker. I'm just not there. But you know what? There's a fascinating psychosocial law outlined in the Talmud that teaches us that the pauper, the poor person, is obligated in tzedakah as well. Why is that? Why is tzedakah, charity, and spoiler, they're not the same, such a value for us in Judaism? So many young people in their 20s and 30s I've spoken to are so cautious with their money and want to wait for the, quote, right moment, so to speak, to give tzedakah when they can. After their first car, after their first house, after they put their kids through day school, and yes, and yes, life can be expensive. But from everything I've learned about in Judaism is this idea from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which has been co-opted by Nike. Just do it. Don't overthink giving. We all make so many calculations. Will these $2 really help the person who is at the red light asking for help? Will my $100 really help this institution become even greater? There's a value in being discerning in so many areas in life, and for sure, which charities to give to. But when it comes to tzedakah, the way I see it, just do it. To dive into this topic, I knew exactly who I needed to speak to. You might have heard of Mem Bernstein, renowned philanthropist in the Jewish community. But even if you don't know who she is, I have no doubt that you've been touched by her generosity, by the way she thinks about investing in the Jewish future. Mem is synonymous with tzedakah, but she doesn't think about it in a traditional way, and she certainly does not like the word charity. Let's hear what she has to say. Friends, I bring you Mem Bernstein. Mem, it is so exciting to have you on our show, The Power of. Welcome. Thanks for being here.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much, Noam, for asking me.
0: We're, we're really excited for this conversation. I think the topic of charity is one that is critical for all of us to be thinking about. But I think we need language for thinking about it. The world of tzedakah, the meaning of, of charity. So let, let's just start on a personal level. Why do you care about charity? Why is this important to you?
1: It's funny you should ask, because I don't really care about charity. It's a word I don't like, and the truth is I never use it, and it didn't occur to me that I didn't use it until you presented me with the question. (laughs) What I care about is caring, taking care of, and helping. But certainly, charity, not so sure. Now, when we use the word tzedakah, it has a different feel to it, I, I would say, um, but often we use the word investing mm. in the work that we do, you know, because that is what we're doing. We're investing in the projects, investing in the people, investing in the Jewish people. Charity, charity means like helping somebody for a second, for a minute without caring, right. without thinking about them. It's not something that we do.
0: That's yeah, I, I love that point. And it, Resonates because the word tzedakah certainly doesn't mean charity. It means it comes from the root of justice. It's part and parcel of what we ought to be doing, not something that is separate from us, not something that's like above and beyond. Your point is well, it's something that I ought to be doing and that's something that you're passionate about. Well, so then let's talk about that. Why did you become passionate? To invest in in the Jewish people, to invest in the Jewish future. Why is this something that's important to you?
1: Well, I think that's a question that comes after a long line of answers. So I'm going to back it up a bit and say, I think for most people who find themselves in my position, who are fortunate enough to find themselves in my position, were raised with giving Mm. because you were raised with caring for the people you lived around and lived with. Who taught you how to share and taught you how to help people in a way that was meaningful mm. and i was raised that way i grew up in a family of many aunts and uncles and cousins who lived right within my building and so you know the kind of thing where the good humor truck went down the street and you said dad can i have a quarter five hands went into their pockets and so You just learned, Uh, I find myself even today with my own grandchildren trying to do the same thing, helping them to understand that if one of the kids needs help, another one is there to help, so they're not alone. And I think that's where this whole business of caring comes from. Um, In terms of what we do, the foundations do, of course, largely that comes from my late husband, Zalman Bernstein, because what we inherited was basically his wealth to export, let's say, to organizations in need of investments. And that's what we do. We help to secure their futures. Um, The mission statements of the foundations are all set out. We focus on them pretty strongly, and we try to maintain our focus and drill down and it's not a matter of, did I become caring? It's a matter of the extension of yourself. It's it's who you are, it's who you are, it's what you do.
0: I love your description of caring as your understanding of tzedakah because I read your great speech, Passing the Baton. And you speak about the fact that, that you grew up with a father who started out as a taxi driver and you make a great joke that, um, you know, then you bought a toy, they bought a toy store. No, not Toys R Us. Right. Really? And, and, and then you become, I think, synonymous with venture philanthropy in the Jewish world. On the one hand, I guess some could say, well, I guess that's the American dream. Like, couldn't have seen that coming. Right. On the other hand, if you have this kind of disposition for caring, then, where, whatever means you have, you were going to be the type of person that was going to demonstrate that caring in one way or the other.
1: Yes, I, I suppose that's true. However, let's be realistic here. I was surrounded by a group of people who were already in the business of caring right. and they basically adopted me and they mentored <laughs> me and they brought me along. So I inherited from my late husband, but I also not only inherited the ability financially to do that, but I inherited an enormous group of people who were there to be counted on and who created for me the avenues in which we work. So I was never alone in this. What I mean to say is within the foundations, I was surrounded by people who were caring and who could help. Me to get to a point that I had to be at in order to carry out the missions of the foundations. What I'm basically saying is it's one thing to want to give, it's another thing to learn how to give. And I need to learn how. I think that, you know, most people perhaps as individuals, they take their hand, they put it in their pocket, they write a check. But in our case, I was surrounded by people and We created opportunities for the support of Jewish community in the way that we wanted to support that community. So in that way, we did our giving.
0: And when you think about, you know, you're talking about investments and you, you, Avichai is an investment in the Jewish future by investing in Jewish education. And when your late husband, Zalman Bernstein, started thinking about adult education, one of the things that he quickly learned and obviously adult education is super duper important, but it's, there's a real value in investing in er, younger and younger and younger, which is
1: absolutely all indications today would show you that if you're focusing on Jewish education, Jewish day school education, Jewish overnight summer camping, you're making an investment that pays off at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. So that's one type of, we'll call it tzedakah. We won't use the word charity. I want to, ask you what your thoughts are on other forms of tzedakah, regardless of whether or not this is an area of passion of yours. But I think that when people think of tzedakah in the Jewish world, they think of, you know, somebody, uh, let's say uh, that that father or, or that mother who can't put food on their Shabbat table. I used to do Tom Shabbos in Los Angeles, it's called. My wife and I would drive around our kids and they would run to the door, leave it at the, at, at the door and, you know, they were they're five years old, three years old, but I wanted, and I, I never thought about it the way that you're talking about it, but it's so simple and, and true and eloquent. I'm teaching them to care. Exactly. Right?
1: Absolutely right. And when they get older, you would hope that they would carry on that tradition that right. you taught them when they were young. And that's what it's all about, in my opinion.
0: Right. So one of the challenges of tzedakah, or people who have the ability, who have acc- accrued, power and wealth over time. There was a speech that Rabbi Jeremy Weider recently gave. He's one of the leading rabbis at Yeshiva University. And he gave this speech, which made its rounds in the digital space. And one of the things that he cited is, and I'm going to read it to you. He says, the studies of the brain using imaging explain something that was described in the Harvard Business Review several years ago as what he calls the power paradox, When people acquire power or wealth, their brains change, and many of the social qualities that allowed them to rise in the first place get lost or weakened. One of those qualities is empathy. Before one rises, one sees oneself as connected to others, but then after rising, that connection is lost. Do you think that that description is fair? How do you look at that comment from Rabbi Weider? Does it resonate? Does Does it bother you? Do you disagree with it?
1: I hate to say I agree with it, but I do. Agree. Really? Yeah. You do? Because it's negative, naturally negative. But yes, I agree <laughs> with it. It's, you know, it's like, uh, let's see, uh, if it's not my way, I'm taking my ball and going home.
0: <laughs> okay. That's what
1: happens. And it's not pleasant. And fortunately, I was tutored, mentored, and trained not to do that. Because otherwise, I might have. I might easily have. It's very easy to become someone greater than you are by virtue of what people think and say about you.
0: Meaning you could start believing your own press, is what you're saying. Yeah. Right, and that's a difficult thing, because I think once we've, uh, you know, and we're all all there to different degrees. It's not like, oh, you hit the one billion mark, you're there. I think that one of the reasons may be that... Uh, This is an idea that I've heard in the past uh, and would love your thoughts on it as well. One of the reasons that when we're walking by somebody who's homeless, uh, we avert our eyes is because we don't want to feel what they're feeling. Once we catch our eyes, then there's this human connection that we kind of have to deal with the problem or deal with the challenge.
1: Well, I think it's very difficult. I mean, I know for myself, when I pass someone on the street, I'm uncomfortable. Mm. I'm uncomfortable for myself. I'm uncomfortable for them. Mm. That's the truth. Right. It's almost too painful.
0: It's very painful. You're removed from it because you're, you're investing in Jewish education, and and, and and that is obviously a massive, massive form of tzedakah. What's your take on the, the best form of giving tzedakah? Do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm?
1: Only when I have to.
0: okay fair enough so so larry david has this i think it's a funny concept he says that uh he's they're they're donating to i think it's a hospital or an art museum and i think it's ted danson who gives anonymously right and he's giving anonymously and larry david gave a certain amount but he has his name on it larry david and Larry David's wife at the time says to him could you believe it Ted Danson is giving anonymously and it's so amazing of him that he's giving anonymously and Larry David is beside himself because he's he's like are you kidding me you you can't be known as the person that's giving anonymously you can't get you can't have it both ways what, so there's a great debate out there do you think it's more important to give charity anonymously I mean, his concept is matan baseter giving it you know in a hidden way um, or do you think you know, as a philanthropist, it's important to have your name out there. Wh- which one is more important and why?
1: Definitely it's more important to give anonymously because then it doesn't have the uh, implication of broadening your or enlarging your head. Mm. I think, though, that when you're in the position that people like myself are in, it's very hard not to put your name on things. And many people do. Um Avichai has tried very hard not to do that. And there would be no name to put on because it's a foundation. It's Avichai. Look, everyone involved in philanthropy, in my opinion, does it for two reasons. One, they do it for the good of what they're doing. And the other, they do it for the good of what they get to feel about what they're doing. It's a great feeling. And to be recognized as a person who does that is even better yet. But it's not the job that you're supposed to be thinking mostly about, right?
0: That's true. I want to read that a little positively. I'm going to come back from my cynicism and read it positively. Uh, I think it's Rabbi Jonathan Sachs who says that one of the reasons that there's a concept that the, uh, a, an ani, a poor person, that even takes funds from the others, like, is... Has to
1: give himself.
0: Still has to give. Because right. it gives that person dignity. Exactly. Right? Giving is, this is my take, there's nothing wrong with feeling positive about the fact that I gave something. There are many examples of pleasure that we should probably stay away from, but this sort of pleasure of giving someone tzedakah or investing in the Jewish future and feeling good about that, I think we could honor that pleasure and say, that's a good pleasure.
1: It's true. It is a good pleasure. No question. Right.
0: Right. Right.
1: You know, it's different on an individual level and different on a foundation level. You know, it's interesting because I think at an individual level, it's even more important to give anonymously, but people don't.
0: Yeah. Why? Why is it more important?
1: Because it doesn't aggrandize the person.
0: Absolutely. That becomes challenging. Do you think that this is a conversation that you, Mem, you know, you're having with me and it's it's a, it's a venture philanthropist with someone who helps lead an organization and, you know, 17-year-olds, 23-year-olds, I don't know, 28-year-olds. You have nothing to listen think about right now. You only think about tzedakah when you're over 45 years old and you've built a successful career, and you're you know now you could start thinking about tzedakah. Or how do we make this relevant to teenagers and young adults who tzedakah is not something that my understanding of tzedakah is not something that is relegated to the extremely wealthy at all, and or is it? relegated to those who are over 45 years old.
1: Well, the truth is, you said it yourself, you know, when you take your kids out to put food on the doorstep of others in need, you're teaching them to give tzedakah. And Mm. that's where it begins to take someone who is and, and it's impossible. I think within the Jewish world, let's be frank, within the Jewish world, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody 40 years old who hasn't been taught to care earlier on in his life. So by the time you're 40 years old, the question becomes, do you have enough to support your family and discretionary funds? And it doesn't have to be a large amount. It should be commensurate with what you're earning. It can't be any more than that. And if you're a successful person, you do the best you can to give back.
0: Right. And it's got to be part of our DNA. I agree. To, to To speak about the Torah and to speak about Western thought, right? Yeah, I want I want to combine both for a minute here. The Torah says, or Pirkei it says, Ashir Who is wealthy? He who is happy with his or her lot. Marcus Aurelius defines that. That's a definition of wealth. I want to. I want to. I want to read another definition of wealth that. I came across, not because I'm an avid reader, but because I'm an avid podcast listener. Um, And it's the podcast about stoicism. Marcus Aurelius defines his wealth in a way that has nothing to do with money. To him, the true measure of wealth is that whenever he saw someone in need of help, he could provide it, right? That is his definition of wealth. And then he said he had a unique luxury to never need to ask for such a favor.
1: On the one hand, he's right. If you can give and you do give, that's great. But the truth is, everybody is in need. They're just in need of Mm. different things. You might not need money. You might simply need a hug. But everyone needs all day long. It's, It's interesting. You know, there was a podcast about memory and experiences and how one's memory really shapes his life. And the same is true here. You know, giving is a great pleasure. The question of how much you can give over what period of time, that's measurable for everybody. But giving is... Nobody gives and feels badly. You don't feel badly when you give. You just can't.
0: Right. Essentially, what you're saying is, tzedakah or giving isn't just about money. It's about inculcating the midah, the the trait of generosity. The love that. It's the dignity of generosity. It's a. Uh, it's it's something that you're right. You 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 can be 17. You can be five years old. You can be 10 years old. And it's something that I, I do believe. I do think that there's something deeply ingrained in Jewish thought and Jewish ideas in the Torah that teaches all Jewish communities, regardless of background, that giving and giving cheerfully, by the way, um, is something that is ingrained in, in all of us, regardless of whether or not I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. My wife from the Upper East Side of Manhattan. You know, you were you were in San Jose, you're in San Francisco. We're, we we this is how we grew up. This is how we we tend to think about. Uh, it, would th- it would think about giving thinking thinking about caring uh, and it's, it's I think it's I'm, I'm proud to be part of this I, I uh, maybe a, a personal question when do you say no when is Ben Bernstein like no no thank you yeah, don't no. want to invest <laughs>
1: <laughs> you say no look when when you're being asked when you're being asked in all different ways personally I'm being asked by friends who are involved in things that I would never dream of being involved in, but they're your friends. And so you set aside a sum of money and you give to your friends because right. otherwise you wouldn't have many friends. <laughs> and... Um, well, but,
0: it's, but, but one second, it, well, on top of that, it's because you love your friends. And so you want to... Your giving is an, is an expression of your love. It's okay. not... Ju- of course, right. you
1: care because they care for something and
0: that's it yeah. for you, right? Yeah.
1: But when you have a, a vision and a mission and you stick to it, when you say no, you feel comfortable saying no, because you know that you have a job, you've outlined what your job is going to be, you set your sights on it, and you stick with it, and you don't let, well, some people call mosquitoes get in the way. You just don't. You know, so it's okay to say no then. It's also okay to say no to your friends when they're supporting things that you really find offensive. Right. And are many times, and that happens, and then you have to say no because there is a greater good in the world. You just don't say yes to everything.
0: One of the remarkable things I just want to conclude with this is an insight. You keep on using the word "we" instead of "I," and I've, I've paid attention to that throughout this entire conversation. I know that it is a "we." I know that I know that you'll, you'll say, and very humbly, that it's a it's a "we" and. I, but I think that that's actually part of the caring because other people could potentially view it as an I moment and you do gen- genuinely view it as a we, which is why you naturally kept on saying we. Um, so I think it's a remarkable thing.
1: Yeah, I do. I've been very fortunate and I, I, I don't even think of myself as, <laughs> as an I, I don't. And luckily, because there, there were so many great contributions from the we that I benefited from, that I, I don't really think of myself as an I. You're
0: right, I don't. Well, Mem Bernstein, it was such an honor to have this conversation with you. I was telling one of my friends, who is another philanthropist, that I was speaking to you, and her text message to me during this conversation was, tell her she's a legend. And indeed, Mem, you are a legend. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
0: When I was in high school, about oh, a million years ago, One of the language options was Latin. It was the last period of the day, and we sort of kind of always had excuses for why we couldn't make it. And looking back, I kind of regret it. Because when you know Latin, you can figure out the etymology and the root for so many words in the English language. But I didn't really take Latin, so I had to Google to find out what the etymology of the word charity was. And you know what's interesting? It comes from agape love which Chloe and I also talked about back in episode one. And it comes from the word dear, another term for affection and endearment. Pretty interesting. But let's go back to the contrast mem-made, a really important one. That charity is not tzedakah. Because the roots of tzedakah are not dear or love. Tzedakah comes from tzedek, which is better defined as justice. In Judaism, we believe that tzedakah is necessary. It's just It's the only way to create a just world and just people. It's not about being generous. It's about being human. And we know this from the laws of tzedakah. Yes, laws. Can you imagine the American or the Australian or the South African legal system obligating charity? It would be laughable. But Judaism has a whole set of laws for how much we give. See the concept of ma'aser or tithing, for example. And not only that, we have a whole set of laws for how we give. We're actually obligated to give cheerfully and joyfully. How crazy is that? But I think when we take a step back and think about it, it's not crazy. Because when I give, I receive. That's not some cutesy idea. It's true. When I give to my sister-in-law's marathons, someone on the street I've never met, or to an institution I believe in, I feel good. Actually, I feel really good. And I'm not this crazy generous person. You are the same way, I guarantee it. Think about a time when you were happiest. Is it when you took something from someone or is it when you gave something to someone? I want to end by coming back to the question of wealth. Mem put something so well. She said that a big part about giving is inculcating within us the spirit of generosity. And to me, that is wealth. Wealth is about not having to take a second thought to put others first. And that is what I will walk away with, reminding myself through daily words and actions to infuse my life with this value of generosity within me. The Power Of is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related. And subscribe to our other podcasts. Follow Unpacked at all the social media places. Just look for at jewishunpacked. And most of all, write to us inspire us with how you've seen and experienced generosity either within yourself or from others at podcasts at Jewishunpack.com. This episode was produced by Rifki Stern, and audio magic is all Rob Perra. I'm your host, Noam Weissman. Thanks for listening.